Good afternoon, everybody. My name is George Roach, and I'm the Executive Director of Canadian Rights Watch. We want to welcome you to this afternoon's show. We have a great broadcast in store for you guys today, especially with all the stuff going on with universities and schools and long-term care and new corporations. Folks, I got all your messages. I've got all your emails. We know what's going on, and we're working as best we can to help you confront some of these demons that are living am am amongst us. But today, we want to make uh, uh, and break down some of what you're experiencing. We have a great guest on with us out of Stratford, Ontario, a criminal lawyer by the name of Nicholas Wandsbutter, who uh, put out an incredible video recently describing for you what informed consent entails and some of the problematic situations concerning the vax ports and vaccines in general. Uh, definitely want to welcome you. Uh, Nicholas Wandsbutter to the facts and the fiction. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, Doug. Doug, we talked about this uh, before. I mentioned to you about what uh, Nicholas does. So mm -hmm. I definitely want to go into some deep dives here. Let's deal with and confront some of what people can do to uh, to help themselves. So uh, take it away, Doug. Sounds good, George, and thanks, Nicholas, for coming on the show. Uh, I think our audience is going to be really excited to get informed about this concept of informed consent. We've all been hearing a lot about it, but to get the legal details is really important as people begin to uh, more and more confront these uh, mandates and what looks like the vaccine passports coming down the pike. So do you want to just uh, give people an overview of the legal work that you've been doing since uh, the beginning of the lockdowns, uh, how things have evolved legally and uh, maybe just give a general uh, a general uh, definition of the idea of informed consent and how it can be used to protect uh, people from these mandates. Uh, sure. So, I mean, starting with a brief legal overview, I mean, there's, there's so much that could be said. You could probably write a whole book of all the unprecedented legal or illegal things that have happened since March of last year. I mean, just even starting with the law courts being shut down, at least in Ontario, we had, aside from emergency type hearings like uh, bail court or things that need to be dealt with right away like that, we had no court system from March until September of 2020. A lot of people don't even know that, that our court system was shut down like that. And then, I mean, aside from the courts, obviously, there's been all these emergency orders, things that even I remember in January and February, legal experts were saying, oh, we can never have lockdowns like they're having in China right now because of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, we have months and months of people being uh, essentially confined to their homes, not allowed to work, having their movement controlled. And uh, I mean, everyone's very familiar with all that. I mean, what even up to what are almost like sumptuary laws or clothing laws where you're required to wear a mask. So the progression of that is now we've progressed to kind of a new stage of this where vaccine passports are being proposed and implemented in some places that are already in place in Manitoba and Quebec, maybe other, other places, but I know for sure those two places. And now they're talking about a federal vaccine passport, which is essentially a document you have to carry proving that you've been vaccinated in order to allow you to move to certain places, uh, uh, to pass the port, pass the entryway into certain mm -hmm. places. So, um, such as, uh, you know, and it varies from place to place, just focusing for a minute on the one that's all over the news right now, the federal one, that's for travel. So if you want to leave the country, you need to have this proof of vaccination. But 
it's then proposed on the provincial levels for things, quote-unquote, non-essential, things such as you want to go see an NHL hockey game or any hockey game, for that matter, you need to show that you have this proof. Uh, and now they're taking it. It's not, per se, a vaccine passport, but the uh, right before the election was called, Prime Minister Trudeau said that we're going to make we, as in the government, are going to make it mandatory to have COVID-19 vaccines in order to work it for the federal government, mm -hmm. and in order to board an airplane, and in order to travel on a train or to go on a cruise ship. So that's, I think it's similar to the passport. Instead of not allowing you to go certain places without it, it's not allowing you to work certain jobs without it. And then, of course, there's probably going to be a cascade effect from that of, well, if the government's doing that, then a lot of businesses will do that. And certainly they've said that federally regulated industries need to do that. So that really brings in the question of consent and informed consent to medical procedures, which for, for decades and decades, that's been a key principle in Canadian law that uh, the your personal body is sacred. I mean, it's not just medical, it's anything. Canadians have the right to decide what happens to their body, what goes into their body, what, what's, what's done with it. And that's the reason why assault is a crime in the criminal code, because people are allowed to choose what happens with their body. Therefore, if someone else does something to your body without you agreeing to it, it's an assault. The definition of an assault in the Criminal Code of Canada is simply the application of any force without consent. So a lot of people say, oh, well, they're not grabbing people and they're not proposing to grab people physically and drag them out and uh, stab them with the needle. So that's not an assault. But it actually is because any application of force, an assault could be a push, an assault could be a slap, an assault could even be a threatening gesture that causes you to, to, to be fearful. And, and so then consent becomes that key part because uh, tapping someone on the, giving someone a hug, for an example, if the person wants to be hugged or they're agreeing to that, that that's not an assault. But if, if they don't want you coming near them, they don't want you touching them and you're forcing that on them, it now becomes an assault. So that's where that question of consent comes in. And the, the courts have been very clear, especially in uh, sexual assault cases, that consent, quote-unquote, is not actually consent if it's done under fear or out of pressure. So you'll see cases, for example, where an employer is making unwanted advances towards a, an employee and it, you know, proceeding to the point of touching her or something, and she doesn't say no or push him away because it's her boss and she doesn't want to lose her job. So then if he tries saying later, oh, well, she consented to that, well, she actually didn't because it was only... It was, it was under duress. Yeah, exactly. It was only under right. fear or duress. So that's where the argument I've made in my videos is that just the, even the concept of vaccine passport is duress because if someone gets a vaccine not because they want it but only because they want to travel they want to live a normal human life right. they didn't consent to that they took it just out of coercion now i mean if people want to take it that's their right they can take it if they want but if you don't want it, it it's improper to coerce people into that and that's long been a principle in canadian law i mean it, it's 
you can read documents uh, on my video that I posted yesterday. Actually, I quoted a document from Health Canada from 1996 where they're saying, well, vaccines aren't mandatory in Canada and they can never be mandatory in Canada because of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So, I mean, the government re recognized that for, for decades, but now here we are. Well, this, uh, that's a good point. And yeah. I guess drawing on that, you know, Doug, we've been talking a lot about this in our psychology of lockdowns. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's, let's widen the lens a little bit, Nicholas, because we have you talk about the assault. This is individual to individual. But right now we have what feels like, what looks like, and sounds like, because I'm getting blasted with emails and messages from people dealing with this right now. It looks like we have our government assaulting the people vicariously through corporations, mm -hmm. long-term care, school boards. I have a plethora of teachers speaking out now who realize under when leaning on their own conscience, this is just outrageous, but it feels like there's a much greater assault taking place, more of a societal one. And it seems to be coming from our Canadian government. What do you think? Well, I mean, certainly, well, the, the, the government and I mean, I would also point my sights on the media as well, because sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard to tell, is it actually the government that's pushing this or is it just the government capitulating to the media's demands because they're worried how it's going to affect their popularity? Because it, it seems like it's always the media pushing it first. But I mean, I don't know behind the scenes, is well, it the media pushing it or is it the government telling the media, hey, say this so that then that... Trudeau's, no, no, Trudeau's mandating want. vaccines for employ for employees for federal employees. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so, so I agree with you. The media is definitely echoing a lot of what's going on, and 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 does it? You know, is it the media that came first or the government? With Trudeau now standing up and media saying, I have federal employees literally calling us now mm -hmm. about this announcement. So it looks to me like Trudeau's pushing it. It's almost as though he is enabling these people, corporate people, to actually attack their staff and gain compliance through incentive marketing plans. We'll give you a hamburger, go down to Nathan Phillips Square, bring your 12-year-old, get an ice cream cone, some french fries, it's very healthy, and uh, get the jab. Mm -hmm. Show us your report by Friday or go home. You'll be unfit to work here. And, and all of these are forms of coercion. I mean, that's the thing that kind of gets me is that the media, first of all, the media is only reporting one side of the issue. They're not reporting uh, issues like antibody dependent enhancement, which I've read uh, articles in, in mainstream uh, scientific journals saying that not telling uh, people before they're vaccinated about, about the possibility of antibody dependent enhancement uh, does not conform to the ethics of informed consent. Um, but then uh, also that, that concept of coercion where they're just blasting us with this one, you know, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated without uh, informing people about, about um, early treatment protocols like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine as the science comes out about that. There's just so much going on to me with the media that I absolutely believe that the way they're handling this issue, not reporting objectively from multiple sides of, of the issue, uh, is a form of coercion. Um, 
I have a question because all of these are, are clearly delineated inside the Nuremberg Code, the idea of informed consent and that you can't be coerced into consenting to a medical procedure. Does the Nuremberg Code apply internationally? Can it be applied in Canadian law? Uh, or do you have to only work with the, the legal system as, as it is internally in, uh, in Canada? Well, uh, I actually don't know the answer to that because I don't, I've never even dabbled in, in international law. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, what I would say is I don't think we even need to go to international law because we have the tools we need built into Canadian law. Right. So, the, I mean, there isn't, there's no conflict between the Nuremberg Code and the, the common law principles that I've discussed about informed consent and just consent, period, and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that guarantees, among other things, under Section 7, the right to life, liberty, and security of the person, which directly goes to the vaccine, vaccine mm -hmm. question. And international law, you need to go to international courts to get your remedies under that. And I'm not sure how much power international courts actually have over national governments. Whereas if you focusing on Canadian law and Canadian courts, they absolutely have power to strike down laws or to make orders for the government to see something or to, to start to do something else. And I, I would just say that uh, people may, quite, may wonder, well, how much can we trust our court system? I frankly think that we still have a solid court system. We just need to get the cases into the court and mm -hmm. back it up with evidence. Um, and, and, I mean, part of the thing is because of the courts being closed for whatever it was, nine months or six months, nine months, there's a huge backlog right now. And of necessity, priority is given to the cases where people's liberty is at stake, which is my stuff, the, the criminal code stuff. I know just locally in Stratford, for example, I can get a criminal trial within a reasonable amount of time because it's getting priority because, again, people's life and liberty is at stake. But to get a civil trial which is the realm you'd be in if you're suing the government to have a law declared unconstitutional. Uh, Justin mm -hmm. Stratford, they're talking like 2023 before you'll be able to get in front of a, a court in, on a civil matter. So I, I don't know what the federal court is like, but probably not too different. Yeah, it seems like an interesting strategy, actually, when we talk about the, the legal aspects of this. Um, one of the things that George has been working on with Canadian Rights Watch, uh, and I believe Children's Health Defense uh, might be looking towards um, the same strategy here in the United States, which would be to just really provide templates with to people about how to deal, like what happens when you're <laughs> feeling coerced uh, into doing a medical procedure and what are the steps that people can take uh, initially when they get confronted with the coercion uh, and then legally if it becomes a, a bigger issue after that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good thing. I mean, knowledge is always a good thing, but I... I I, I talk to a lot of people and they'll have these things sprung on them and then they don't, mm -hmm. you're kind of like a deer in the headlights. So oh, what do I do all of a sudden? Exactly. I mean, I've had clients, uh, they'll tell me, well, well, I went to, you know, the, the doctor, I went somewhere for something else. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, they came at, came at me with this needle and said, oh, well, we're going to just give you your, your uh, vaccine now. And they're kind of, before they could even really think about what they're doing, they're like, oh, well, I guess so. I, I right. think to an extent, this, the same thing may be happening with a lot of this 
these other thing, these other mandates are being put in place. And I do think that having even some sort of template like that could be a good thing because then people, they just know what to say. And I, I, I frankly think that a lot of this stuff may be a little bit of bluffing and just hoping that people don't fight back. And right. exactly. if, people, if people do push back, then they might be like, oh, well, <laughs> we weren't expecting that. Maybe we right. better back down because, I mean, just think of a university, for example, do they really want to be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on lawyers' fees if uh, 10%, even say just 10% of their student body fights back and said, we're taking you to court. Exactly. Uh, I, if you make me do this, you'll, you can expect to hear from my lawyer. If a university of 1,000 students, just for a random number, ha gets that from 100 students, they might start thinking like, whoa, this is going to cost us a lot. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should you know, talk a reasonable compromise with these people. Yeah, I just yeah. heard about actually in Moscow, apparently when they tried to institute this, uh, uh, I don't think it was a vaccine passport just yet, but it was the mandate about you can't go inside unless you can show proof of vaccination that we're, we're seeing here in the United States now in New York, San Francisco, I think New Orleans now. Uh, and in Moscow, basically everyone, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated alike, refused to show their papers you know they didn't mm. want to participate and the businesses just had to back down because they were getting no business if they required the the papers you know the internal passports to prove uh, proof of vaccination uh it was just a general strike and it actually mm. worked so that, that's another yeah. possibility too uh, well i hadn't heard that but that that's good to hear and i, I kind of makes me wonder if in russia they're relatively recent experience with full-blown communism is maybe why they right. have that solidarity uh, i don't unfortunately i don't see a lot of aside from the media i don't get the impression there's a lot of antipathy among the people in canada between the vaccinated and unvaccinated but there is a lot of apathy in terms of people like well i got my two jabs so I don't really care what they do to the people who right. didn't get them versus that solidarity of saying, well, look, whether you, and, and this is what I've said on don't talk to you guys. I said, look, you should, if, if you got both jabs, you should still be upset the way I am because yeah. th th this isn't really about whether you got the jab or not. This is about, do you want, do you share this vision of Canada? Do you want to live in a Canada where there's basically separation, uh, like, different strata of society where some people are allowed to do some things some people are, are allowed to do other things where where people are dictated whether they can work at a job or not by whether they've consented or whether consented or whether they've received a certain medical procedure uh, even if you're fully in favor of the vaccination i don't think that's a vision of canada that people should 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 like because today it could be today it's a, a vaccine so, quote unquote, vaccine. Tomorrow, what if it's something else? Because now that precedent is there. Well, now we're going to require something else. And right. well, this is exactly it. So the silences can almost be received as consent in some ways, or interpreted. If people are saying nothing, then I believe they're enabling it. If they're not standing up and standing against it, let's get to some real world circumstances that are actually um, uh, going on right now, Nicholas. The, the all the students are getting notices from the universities and colleges. They're not being left a whole heck of a lot of time either. It's like this oh. is deliberate almost where it you know, we're at the eleventh hour now. 
these parents got to make a snap decision. Are you going? Are you not? Am I going to defer or are we not? Uh, we're dealing with a huge problem right now. In your opinion, we have this word mandate. To my knowledge, mandates aren't law. There are mandates and there's regulations and there's compulsory and there's policy. Mm -hmm. When people hear these words, are they to interpret them as absolute, you must obey? What should the reader, the parent, or the student be doing when they hear the word mandate? Well, yeah, that, that's a, a good question. I mean, what do they mean by that? Certainly at law, when you're dealing with government, there's no such thing as a mandate. There's either a law that's been mm -hmm. passed in Parliament, or there's an order in council, or or a regulation. There aren't. There's no such thing as a mandate. Now, when you get to universities, we're now getting into the realm of private businesses. I mean, are they really private businesses with all the subsidies they receive? Some might argue that, but right. for for in law, they're considered private corporations, right? So they can really use whatever terminology they want, be it a policy or a mandate. They're basically saying. This private corporation, corporate university, whatever, we're saying this is our requirement for you to attend classes here, similar to how we might say you need to have a high school diploma in order to attend here, or you need to have a certain grades in order to attend here. They would try to say it's the same, it's the same thing. So, right. I, I mean, I think the universities have a, they have a certain level of the ability to control their own operations as, as any business does, but they are still you know, bound by the human rights codes. So for example, they couldn't say, uh, just, just as an example that I, it's maybe a bit of an extreme example, but I think it would resonate people to understand what I'm talking about. Like no one would ever think that a university could say, if you're LGBTQ, you cannot attend university here. Right. I mean, people would be up in arms and say, this is outrageous. Well, it's the same Similar thing. You're just leave leave your wheelchair. Leave your wheelchair at the door. Right. Yeah. So, I, uh, there there is recourse under human human rights tribunals. At least there may be other recourse recourses, but I think there'd at least be a human rights thing. Mm. But you're right. I mean, when you only have two weeks to work with, you're not going to get a human rights complaint <laughs> before the human rights commission in two weeks. I, I think, unfortunately, people need to just. Well, people just need to say, look, well, we're not doing it. Uh, and, and that goes back to, again, like if a university, they're there to make money. If all of a sudden 10, 15, 20% of their student population says, well, fine, we're not going to your university, refund my full tuition, I'm not coming. I think they'd think twice pretty fast if yeah. they all of a sudden. Well, they're, lost, they're about to be out of the job. Right, so to be out of a job. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand it was very stressful as a university student. It would really suck. But on the other hand, it, you're maybe giving up. A, I, I, maybe you're giving up a year of your university. That sucks. But you're not giving up your whole life. And is it worth taking a stand for one year to mm -hmm. force the university to respect people's basic human dignity? <laughs> I, I, I think so. And, I'm I mean, getting people opting for that now. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. It's not like you'd be barred from university forever. I think that if a significant percentage of people just said, "Okay, fine," uh, I mean, I, I'm not taking it. So refund my tuition, and I'll see you in court because I'm contacting my lawyer, and I'm going to file a human rights complaint for you 
effectively expelling me from university because of my I of medical treatments or even you're trying to force me to disclose medical status. I mean, could you imagine a university ever saying, well, you need to disclose to us whether you have HIV or not before we'll let you come on campus? Right. But but again, if they did that, it would be the same thing. And that, I think that's how it was done in the past, too, is human rights complaints, uh, suing them, saying that they're violating people's basic human rights by discriminating in that fashion. I, right. I, do, I do find it amazing that uh, the double standard that seems to exist here in COVID, with COVID, that has been like transforming people away from these typical assumptions that we who enjoy living in a free society have. I mean, just that concept that of bodily autonomy that you were talking about uh, previously, it's like, it's interesting to me that people don't recognize this as a, just a simple principle. If we're going to live together in, in a community or, uh, you know, within the state network, and it seems like people are losing a lot of these fundamental principles as a result of, of maybe the fear of COVID, um, that has been being promoted by the mainstream media. And I think if we don't take a principled stand, I mean, you know, come on, like, right. This idea of bodily autonomy is the difference between a person who is a free person and a person who is a slave. If you allow somebody to, 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 and George and I talk about boundaries all the time, right? <laughs> if you don't make healthy boundaries against uh, this kind of abuse, then you're just opening yourself up for a world of hurt. No question. So, Nicholas, do you see a criminal element here? We've got a lot of human rights stuff. There's yeah. Superior Court. I got cases out the yin-yang for Superior Court and mm -hmm. HRTO. Do you see a criminal element to any of this based on what we know today? Coming from the government, the institutions who are cooperating, the support being elicited uh, from these corporations, supervisors and bosses alike are basically joining the government's army, so to speak. And they're basically attacking these workers. Well, there is, there is potentially a criminal element because I've described it as an assault and mm -hmm. an assault is certainly a violation of at least section seven of the charter rights and freedoms, probably of other sections, for example, could be a violation of, um, so it's not one that I use very often. I think it's section, uh, uh, yeah, section twelve. Uh, the free freedom to be su subject to cruel and unusual punishment. You, you could maybe that argument. That argument. Ooh, there's there is an argument. That, that right? argument was made in the case of uh, Sergeant Kipling, who was the uh, Air Force mechanic who was court-martialed for refusing the anthrax vaccine back in the early 2000s. Huh. He argued section seven, uh, section twelve, and. Um, maybe section 15, but certainly 12 and 7. But So there's the charter arguments, there's the human rights arguments. There is potentially a criminal argument, but uh, it becomes a question of practicality of what are you really going to get out of a, a criminal element. I mean, certainly I can pretty much guarantee you if you phone up the police and try to make a complaint, they're, they're not going to investigate that. You do have the avenue of private prosecution. You, you could try to bring a private prosecution against an individual, which could be an interesting interesting exercise but the, um, the the crown attorney's office always has the ultimate discretion of whether a case goes forward or not so they could take over as soon as you got an indictment laid or an information laid they could take it over and say well we're withdrawing this we're not going to proceed on that 
uh, I mean, the it, it's something that, that could could be tried. It, where they would try to hide behind and say, well, who's the one who's actually assaulting you? I think you'd have to just try and get everyone and say, well, everyone's a party to this. Yeah. From the right. Who actually jabbed you with it to their supervisor who told them that they had to do that to you, to the the lawmakers or the policymakers, the people who've made these announcements that that have, have led to anything. Um, I, I don't think that's something that's actually been tried in the past, but it, it's a possible avenue. I think that, uh, you know, suing the government to get laws overturned and human rights complaints are probably on a practical level going to be more effective. That's interesting. Let's let's go over here for a quick sec. What what would you say to the person? I'm, I'm getting these calls, and the person's like, you know, I don't know what to do. Uh, I got to keep my job. I got three kids. I'm a single mom. Mm -hmm. um, do I, you know, do I go along to get along? Do I just acquiesce and give in here and take the jab, or do I quit? What would well, you say to the people who are in this predicament where I don't know which way to go? Mm -hmm. uh, I would say to them, don't don't do something that you don't want to do. Don't do so. Don't allow yourself to be coerced into doing something that you've chosen for yourself you don't want to do. But also, don't quit. Make them earn what they want to take from you. Make them right. fire you. Make them go through that process. If they had to go through that process with every employee. Again, I, I see it as a bit of a bluff, and they're counting on people just either resigning or taking the job. But any business, if you had a substantial percentage of their employees say, you know, just go to their boss saying, look, here's where I stand. I'm not taking it. Ball's in your court. Now the pressure is back on, on, the, uh, on the management. Now some right. people say, well, that, I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. I... I I certainly recognize that, but forcing them to fire you at minimum will then entitle you to proper severance. If you quit, you're not entitled to severance. Correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could make arguments that it was constructive dismissal and you only quit because you felt you had to, but it's going to be an easier argument to make if you can say, well, look, I was straight up fired and here they, they put it, put it <laughs> right. in writing. I think there's, there, again, there's a lot of scare tactic going on because when we speak about the government mandate, we don't, at this point, we actually don't have a clue what they mean by that. Like, what does that mean that vaccines are going to be mandatory for federal workers? We have no idea what that means at this point. I, I, there was a press release. They actually deleted it after putting it up. Yeah. Saying that mandatory is actually going to mean if you don't take it, you've got to uh, provide or you've got to have routine testing done, which still isn't a great thing. It's still a bit of an intrusion, but it's something that could buy you time. You could keep your job and okay, maybe you have to put up with these tests. And then in the meantime, you can be uh, getting some, trying to get some legal things going. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully there could be some class action lawsuits. I, I, probably I, I, the I, best way to go because if you have a class action lawsuit, then you can spread the expenses around because that's the, the big problem with this is this stuff is expensive. Even yeah. if you could find a lawyer who was, had the ability to work for free you're not going to be able to find all the medical experts that are a able and willing to work for free. And you're going to need those because court is based on evidence. Absolutely. You can't go into court with a YouTube video from Dr. Tenpenny and say, Oh, you know, here, here's my proof. That's not proof. You need right. the actual doctors of goodwill and people with, with the credentials. So I would say more 
people more along the lines of like a Dr. Hodkinson, whose credentials are absolutely impeccable. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, and people like Dr. Bridal and people like that, who they can't say, oh, well, this isn't their field. It's like, no, this is their field. They know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. But, debunk, debunk that. <laughs> yeah. But, right, right. But, I mean, it's a reality situation. That's the way the courts work to begin with is it's evidence. You need the evidence there to back up what the legal argument is. So it's not just a lawyer. You've got to factor in your medical experts. But well, I've, I've, I've been going, saying this. Yeah, I've been saying this. The, the legal argument is one aspect, but it's creating and paving the way to make the other scientific yeah. arguments, which we saw in Calgary, were yeah. was not allowed. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, the judge ruled that the other side didn't have to produce any science. Well, what, which case are you JCC, talking about? I think it was a JCCF case with John okay. Carpe, where, um, gosh, I don't remember all the details, but what I remember is there was a statement that allowed the other side to not have to be obligated to produce any scientific basis for the measures, I think it was. Well, I, I think, I, I don't know, but I haven't read that particular case. I, I mean, it could be that the judge was trying to say they didn't lay a, a sufficient foundation to establish the breach in the first place that would then require the, the state to respond. And that's why I say you need to be ready to go in there with all your ducks in a row so that... Yeah, I mean, because judges are Canadian citizens too. They watch the same news that everyone else watches. Right. It's just a reality of the situation. I don't think our judicial system is corrupt in any way, but it's human. It's a human system, possibly yep. human. So you have Perfectly to be ready imperfect. To, you know that you're going in. You're going to have to um, counteract uh, predispositions and pre biases. But if you go and hit them with evidence from people with the right credentials, then the judge will be. Uh, the the judge will be saying, "Whoa!" They'll sit back and say, "Well, wait a minute. This is totally different than what I've seen before." Right. And and you know, this doctor really knows his stuff. Then they'll be going to the crown. Well, wait a minute. What do you have any response to this? Because this is really compelling. Yeah. Um, this is case, actually. I mean, just again going back to the Sergeant Kipling case, just because it's a case I've been studying recently because mm-hmm. it plays into the whole federal government thing. I mean, that's a perfect example of a a soldier in the past being court-martialed for refusing a vaccine and having his charges uh, uh, judicially stayed. Now, that was appealed and a new trial was ordered, but the uh, the military decided they weren't going to risk a second trial and they just let him go. But in, in that case, that's what he did is he up front brought experts who established that the anthrax vaccine was dangerous and then that was what then and the, the court actually said that they had to do that to establish the breach in the first place, because obviously right. your bodily it's a bit harder to make the argument that your bodily integrity is being injured if it's something that's completely safe. Although I think there is still an argument there just on the consent issue, even if it is just saline solution, it's still interfering with your Section 7 rights to put that into you without without your consent. Yeah. I think yeah, it's fascinating well, that we're put in a position here where we're trying to get this information into court in order to have the conversation about the scientific facts that should be happening on the mainstream media as we have public debate and then voted on in our democratic mm-hmm. institutions. But instead, we're seeing this widespread coercion by the mainstream media to push only one side of the issue. We're not allowed to have these public debates. And now we're desperately actually trying to get these uh, cases into court so that we can actually present the science and like that description of the way even when we go into court the judges 
are already going to have a, a bias, a pro-vaccine uh, or pro-mandate bias, potentially because of all of the mainstream media. And mm -hmm. I've even, I'm even seeing this uh, in the medical profession. I mean, people want to say that, uh, you know, 80% of doctors are taking the vaccine and promoting the mandates, uh, uh, you know, a consensus of scientists. Well, how many of those scientists have, are staying right on top of the most recent peer-reviewed science surrounding COVID? Or how many are just listening to their favorite mainstream media uh, outlet and consuming uh, mm -hmm. only the one-sided information? So we're not having this public conversation. Well, and in fairness, a lot of physicians, it's not their area of expertise. They're probably com right. completely busy. I mean, if you're an emergency room physician, you're spending all day patching up uh, motor vehicle accident victims and, and people like that. You, you don't really have time to sit down and study this. And I think a lot of people, they have a general trust you know, from historically. They say, well, historically, our, you know these things have been trustworthy. So, I mean, I, under normal circumstances, I don't think... It's normal in society for everyone to have to be an expert on everything, but that kind of seems like <laughs> the situation that we're in. I know. When you're, <laughs> it's a little unrealistic. <laughs> it, it, well, it, it is, but then on, on when you can't, if you have difficulties, I mean, it's not, it, I don't know if it's even a matter of trust. It's just a matter of there is only one side of the story ever, ever presented. So you don't, how, do you, how can you even gauge whether that's trustworthy or not right. when you're only seeing one side? And only exactly. one side is ever being looked at. And, and this well, goes back fundamentally to the notion of coercion that we were talking about before. How can you make a medical decision when you're being inundated with only one side of the story? And then, I mean, again, also not just coercion, but informed consent. If you're not getting both sides of the story so you can make a choice for yourself about the best way forward. It's well, so frustrating to see. Go Listen, ahead, George. Right now, right now, and, and I tell you, this is one of the ways that they're circumventing informed consent. Right now, because of the media campaign and the influence that such media campaigns have had on our youth, I have parents losing their minds right now because Sally is 19 years old, she has a boyfriend, and all of the friends in that group are vaxxed. Yeah. And now here's the one girl that is not vaxxed and she's going over there and she has no idea, but she's being influenced. I have another officer, an hour and a half I spent with him on the phone. Pardon me. He's losing his you know what because his son won't return his text messages or his mother's text messages. He's 14 years old and he doesn't want to lose his place in the sun with the crowd. And he's going to get the vax. There is no opportunity for informed consent there whatsoever. Right. Although, I mean, yeah, pure, yeah, peer pressure is a whole, whole other, whole other ball of wax. And I mean, wow, that that, mm -hmm. that goes. Yeah, I but, can't imagine the helplessness they're feeling. And yeah, but, folks, you're watching the facts and the fiction here at Canadian Rights Watch. We're on with Nicholas Wansbutter, criminal lawyer out of Strathroy. Want to welcome all of you this afternoon to the show. Nicholas, listen, the, the helplessness that these parents are feeling is unbelievable. I, uh, my, my heart goes out to them. The, 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 it's very difficult to have a child who will not listen to their RN mother. A registered nurse mother can't get through to her daughter. Don't take this jab. 
because she has a posse of people that she wants to remain in cahoots with. Yeah, I, I can I can only only imagine what that would be like, and I certainly sympathize with those people. Unfortunately, there's nothing legally that can be done about having peers who are who are pressuring people into these sure. things. I, I unfortunately, I mean that that actually brings us to a, a larger uh, question that we've we've touched on. I mean, the the law is one thing, and and a lot of you know court challenges in that really, in a way, are only a band-aid solution to a surgery problem, because overall, this is really a societal and a cultural thing, and absolutely, our, our politics and our laws are always going to be downstream of the culture. You, you don't have laws like we have, you don't have governments that we have without first having the culture that wants that, or, or that ex accepts that, so, I mean, that's that's kind the of... The rule of law! My, that, that's going outside specifically my me being a lawyer, this is just me being a Canadian citizen and being a, a husband and father myself. And a, just, and a parent, just, yeah. It, it, right. That's just the broader cultural culture war, if if you will, and people feel helpless. The only thing you can do is you can just control your own life. You can't control other people. You can just do the best you can with right. your own life. And to people who have older children, maybe... You know that train's left the station to an extent, but I mean, I'm a I've, I'm a firm believer in taking control of the education of your children. Yeah. My children have never gone to a government school; uh, they've been homeschooled because homeschooling is completely legal. There's really nothing yeah. opposing you legally from from doing that, and then you have full control over what your children are learning. You have control over whether you have a television in your house and what's playing on that television. I also right. have television. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, I can tell you that combination of no television, no uh, government school, there is no dispute in my household. on. Uh, right. Well, your kids, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to whip the pom-poms out for you <laughs> down the road for that kind of parenting. And, and I want to make that clear to our, our viewers too, you know, right now is a time where parents should be talking to their children and explaining what's going on. Let's, let's not, let's blur these boundaries just a little bit. There are things you've got to teach your kids right now, folks, that you, you probably never even considered uh, discussing with them or that you would ever be faced with having to. But I think right now with, this is a real test of parenting. Parents are very much in a, in a complex situation of determining which way to go. What do I talk to Jimmy and Susie and Sally about? We get it. You know, listen, you're going to have to do the best you can. I think it's, and it's important. If you guys need any help, just call me. I've got lots of family uh, systems experience. I'll, I'll tell you what to do in these situations and I'm willing to, I think what the frustration for a lot of people right now is that the rule of law seems to come last. All this damage and all these infractions and violations must occur in order for a person to now say, I've reached the limit. I've had enough. I've been doing this for six months. I'm done. I need a lawyer. Well, there aren't any lawyers right now in the country that are available to, to do any of this. Nicholas, how do you suggest people navigate that on their own? without the oversight of legal intervention? Uh, navigating these things on their own without without uh, 
I mean, at least socializing it or getting, what do you say? What do you say to the supervisor? What do you say to the school dean? What do you say to the administrators of counties, of communities and municipalities who are enforcing yeah. this at day camps, at uh, 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 overnight camps? Well, and that's, and that's just it, the idea of parental rights. Like, uh, you know, how, how powerful are uh, the parents' rights to go to these institutions that are trying to coerce their children into taking the vaccine uh, when they feel differently? Well, I think individually, maybe parents don't have a lot of power, but collectively they can have a lot of power because that comes back to the whole thing. If they're facing losing 10, 20 or more percent of their attendees at any given thing, I think that these organizations are going to think twice, but they're counting on just everyone acquiescing and just going along, and they're not ready for what's going to happen if people push back. I think, unfortunately, people need to be ready and willing to walk away from certain things. Yep. If you have to, okay, I guess we have to walk away from hockey. There, there's other, <laughs> other things that my kids can do to stay fit, but we're just going to have to walk away from that. Yeah. Um, I also think it's important to be be civil and respectful about it. I don't think it helps anyone to go into the office of the principal or the office of the coach or whatever, screaming and yelling at them. I understand why people would want to, because they're really frustrated. They Things that they care about are being forcibly taken away from them. But, I mean, the old saying, more bees are, or more flies are caught with honey than with vinegar, I, I think there's just that aspect. And, of course, the media has also played up this aspect that anyone who's against the lockdowns or against uh, jabs or against anything, they're crazy conspiracy theory people, they're crazy angry people. And if you come right. in angry, they're, they're just going, oh, well, yeah, see, just crazy angry conspiracy theorists. So... Hard not to get triggered, huh, George? Well, I think it, so. It is, it is, but I mean, I've I've found personally, maybe it's partly because of the, well, I'm a lawyer, so people have a bit more respect for a lawyer, but when I've actually sat down and had a conversation with people, it generally doesn't go too badly. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but I, I think... The, the main thing people can do is they just have to be ready to walk away from, from certain things. Like if it means I'm not going to a vacation in the Caribbean this year, then I'm not going on a vacation in the Caribbean this year. It sucks, but that, that's what you got to do. And I think it's a matter of time before things start changing because businesses are going to start losing, losing money. Certain yeah. things won't be able to operate. And I, I you know, some there's going to be more data as time goes on. And maybe at some point yeah. that is going to be, going to be clear so that people are like, well, maybe this isn't the situation wasn't what we thought it was and, and we can't ignore what's going on. I mean, uh, as we, as we've learned a lot can change in a few months. Yeah. I've, I, I, sorry. Well, I, I was I, just going to say, <laughs> just going to say, I'll go, I'll go first, George. Uh, that, and when it comes to informed consent, you know, I think the science is so much uh, on our side, actually, that if you can just kind of calmly, uh, explain uh, to other people that it's a rational decision to choose uh, early treatment protocols like ivermectin that have just been shown peer-reviewed paper after peer-reviewed paper to work effectively. Uh, and then I think the issue of the anti-dependent enhancement where we've got 
Uh, I think I just saw a document out of the National Institute for Health here in the United States showing that they uh, they were warning we need to tell people about this possibility in order to be, to be ethical as we roll out the vaccine, uh, and they decided not to. Clearly, uh, also articles in I know uh, I've read I've read them in several peer-reviewed journals, but uh, opinion pieces saying that not telling people about uh, these long-term potential adverse reactions is unethical, according to informed consent. So, um, yeah, I mean, just being able to sit and talk rationally with people yeah, and, and I always show them some of this information, it's not irrational. Speak rational and try and bring them some facts. I mean, I'm a lawyer, so I'm all about the rights and, and those legal principles, but that can be twisted around too. And they say, oh, these people, it's just about my rights. They don't care about anyone. You come at them with some other facts. They say, look, this, this is why I've made this decision for myself or for right. my family. It's it's not just because of my freedom, like, you know, absent anything. I say, look, here, you know, I have some reasons. I'm a reasonable person. You're, you know, I hope you're a reasonable person. We can see that rational people can even disagree on, on medical issues. I think that's right. another problem is that there's this, you know, the whole term settled science. I mean, really, there's no such thing as settled science because science is always being studied. And I mean, you can look back a few years. You don't need to look back too far to see there's certain things a few years ago that they're saying, oh, this is for sure the way to deal with this this medical problem or that problem. And then a few years later, oh, actually, that wasn't. Or I mean, just look right. at the diet. Stuff. All the time. I mean, it's always changing. This is what you should eat. This is what you shouldn't eat. So I think we need to get back a little bit to the reasonable people can disagree on things it's not like you're not the devil because you're we're, we're not we're not seeing those norms you. i just right. have my view you have yours you do what's right for you i want to do what's right for me yeah right and we're not we're not seeing that social rationale right now are we we are seeing again with our interview with mark mcdonald we call this mass delusional psychosis now, I want to get into Section 4 with you in just a moment, Nicholas, uh, Property to Trespass Act, because there's a lot of conversions going on there when police show up at grocery stores and the beer store and the mall, etc. But I want to just quickly address the school issue, the returning back to school. We've got a lot of kids going back to school. I have a ton of parents saying to me, gosh, I don't know what to do. Uh, I need to get a, an exemption letter, a mask letter. My opinion, I'm going to go first. I'm going to tell everybody. If you're sending your kids back to school in September, I think that's a problem. I think you're sending them into a serious interruption of their educational lives. Because right now, we're not seeing education. I think the focus right now should be we have to save our kids and protect their psychological well-being. The centers by which they use and rely upon to document the knowledge and save that knowledge going forward and to be able to use it effectively to cultivate their own lives is at an all-time high risk. And I think there is not a benefit. If you're a parent that wants to send your child back to school because you need time alone, I don't think it's a time to start looking at your needs right now. I think you need to really invest yourself yeah. in protecting the psychological lives and the well-being of your children. So that's my opinion. What do you think, Nicholas? Well, and again, this is a personal opinion, not a legal opinion, but... Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I agree. I agree with you. Well, and, and as I've said, I've... I've been an advocate of people pulling their children out of government schools for years, way before COVID-19, because there's other things that I think are problematic with the way our education system works and some of the things that they teach. And, I, the pom -poms. and, and yeah. I just strongly believe that 
a parent, one of a parent's key duties is to educate their children, teach them to be good human beings, good citizens. And it's not just to put a roof over their head and food in their belly. It's also to, to educate them. So, and then this is just taken to the next level. And even if, if you take it from a perspective of if you're concerned about them getting sick at school, like say that's your, your concern, maybe that's another reason to, to not be putting them in, into these schools. And it just, it just seems like it'll be so disruptive. It's so uh, um, unstable. You don't know, is the school going to get shut down next week? Is, is it's unpredictable. Are, yeah, so in, children need stability. Children need stability more than, way more than adults do. Children, structure. structure. They, they need stability and structure, and, and that can be offered much better. It's 2021. It's never been easier to teach your children at home. There's so many resources that people didn't have even 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, to to assist with that, and I know a lot of people are concerned about socialization, but just because they don't spend six hours in a classroom a day doesn't mean that they can't get together with other children outside Absolutely. school, do activities. You know, and I'm, I mean, as I say, my children are homeschooled. It's not like they don't talk to other people. And I mean, really, how many socializations do you do That's during class anyway? Point. You're listening to a teacher. You're you know you're sitting there taking your notes, presumably. Yeah. Uh, it's not the only place. Okay, listen. So we have this problem, Doug. Sorry. Mm -hmm. My turn, okay? Yep. We have this problem right now. I'm at the grocery store. I have an exemption. I don't have to produce any evidence of what my exemption is. It's personal. I don't, I'd rather not disclose my information. But I'm going to continue to walk in, and I'm going to continue to do my shopping, as I typically do, as I've been doing forever. Now, you're a staff member. You want to come up to me, and you want to tell me... Uh, you know, masks are mandatory in the store, sir. You have to, you know, you have to wear that mask. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to wear that mask, but I'm going to continue shopping. And we hit reprise when I call the police. The police show up. They tell you, well, you have to leave. It's a private business. Section 4 of Property and Trespass Act has two sections. We interviewed Vince Gersey, a former 32-year veteran of the OPP. Um, what is your take on... The second part of Section 4, because there's no involvement for the police over mask mandates uh, when they go to the mall or the grocery store. There's no mandate for that. What is happening that these police are showing up and arresting people for exercising and operating on what Galati refers to as the color of law? What the heck is going on with these cops that they don't realize the second part of Section 4? Well, I uh, I can't speak for individual officers. I mean, I suspect that a lot of them probably don't fully understand the uh, Trespass to Property Act. They probably just have a general concept that, well, this is a private property. We were asked to remove someone, so we're, we're going to do that. Uh, I, I suspect that, that that is probably the main thing that's going on. Um, Well, I, don't know, I mean, property law isn't, uh, <laughs> trespass to property is, is not something I'm uh, particularly uh, fluent in, but I, I mean, I, I think to a certain extent, businesses, even if they're ridiculous, they do have the right to impose rules. I mean, if I go to a fancy restaurant and they want me to wear a jacket, I think they should be allowed to do that. But, but can their policies be inconsistent with law? 
when that police officer signs that thing, he's saying this offense actually took place. But is not is a person not entitled to their exemption as they are much entitled to their wheelchair, the color of their skin? That they're uh, they're they're operating under grounds that are protected by the human rights code in this case. Well, yes, I mean the the human rights code applies everywhere in Canada, so you you would still you would still have recourse to the, to the human rights code. Yeah. Well, that's just what's so amazing to me, and and we've got um, maybe five six minutes left, so I just want to kind of uh, wrap up the conversation. But it seems like to me, and I came to this realization months ago, really. But you know, like we're having all these arguments, uh, and a lot of times I'm arguing with people about certain treatment protocols, or or you know whether or not the masks work, or whatever it is. But really, what the whole big picture boils down to that we've touched on so much uh, in this conversation is about healthcare freedom. Uh, the ability just to allow individuals to make choices for themselves about what happens to their own body and how they're going to take care of themselves uh, in the face of the possibility of getting sick. And I just, uh, I mean, to me, it's like this overriding concern that what happens in a society where you don't have healthcare freedom, again, just going back to the principle of the thing, and then we're talking about the ideals of informed consent uh, and not being allowed to be coerced. Uh, into uh, this, these kinds of <coughs> mandates or these kinds of healthcare mandates. Um, wh just why don't we kind of wrap it up here with the idea of, of healthcare freedom, why it's so important, what happens in a society that doesn't uh, respect a healthcare freedom, right? I mean, historically, well, it's a disaster. I, I, it's amazing I, I, so many think, people don't, you know, cons aren't concerned about this. I think it's uh, it, it's like any other sacrifice of freedom in exchange for the idea of security or the the thought that there'll be security, be it healthcare or be it anything else. It always ends badly when people trade freedom and personal responsibility for some perception of of safety and the government taking care of them. This time, the, the focus is on health, but we've seen it before. I mean, look at everything. Look at how society changed after September 11th, where people right. gave up yep. basic freedoms that we always had because they wanted to feel safe from, from terrorism and, and the, the, bad, the bad effects I've had. I mean, it, it's hard to remember what life was like in the 1990s before <laughs> 2001. But yeah. for those of us who've been around that long, you think back and it was like, yeah, things were totally different back then. I mean, you, your family could come with you right up to the gate to see you off to go to yeah. the airport. You could bring a sandwich if you wanted to eat on the you plane. You could go see Grandma um, at the nursing home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you also didn't have the government spying on you and, and you know all the different things so that that's to me that's the bottom line is that you know the concept of personal responsibility and then and, and unfortunately tyranny is is attractive in some ways because it frees people from having to worry about personal responsibility yeah. they have in well, some ways the ultimate freedom they don't need to make any choices they don't need to take any responsibility for anything it's all you know, on someone else, be it the government or, or someone else. And, dangerous and, and, and I mean, study history. As the saying goes, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. You can see every yeah. time in history this has been tried, that people have given up freedoms under any topic. Right. It, it, it never ends. It never ends well. well. It's, and it's never good. And society all doesn't prosper because you, you, government can't replace 
the ingenuity and the things that people can do on their own. And government just it doesn't function properly that way. Really, everything, there's a principle of, called subsidiarity that, that I believe in, that everything is, if it's dealt with at the lowest level possible, that's going to get you the best results. Right. Yeah, it makes wow. so much sense, actually, decentralizing power uh, so that communities and individuals can make these choices for themselves. Um, it's so, I, I think, such an important principle here. And this idea of healthcare freedom is really something I hope if uh, people can take away anything from this conversation, it's that, like, look, you know, if we don't live with this principle, uh, then things don't have never ended well. Like, they're not going to end well. It's something that we have to really start to think That's it. about you seriously, gotta, right? You you got to do your homework, folks. You've got right now more than ever. You need to learn some new stuff. Start to distrust what you think you know, and be willing to delve into some of this information because we're getting pounded with calls. Because on the general level, the general scale, people don't know what to do, and so we're here to help you answer some of those questions, and hopefully, in a diplomatic way, find some resolve. But it doesn't look like that's coming anytime soon. They're moving forward, they're not hiding, and uh, they're using force now. So folks, do the right research and don't be afraid to reach out and ask some questions and, and certainly get some help. We are living in strange times. We're out of time now. We will be back. We're certainly going to bring you back, Nicholas, for a little update, maybe a month down the road or so as things get a little crazier, and we are expecting them to. Folks, let's guard the gates. Uh, Doug, you know, tell us, uh, actually, no, Nicholas, where can people find you mm -hmm. if they need you? Well, my website is wandsbutter.com. So just my last name, W-A-N-S-B-U-T-T-E-R.com. And then uh, also on uh, YouTube and Rumble, and we're getting Odyssey going, Don't Talk TV, you just search for don't talk tv on any on on those platforms and there you'll find my videos excellent well sounds good nicholas thanks for coming on the show I, a lot of people had the question about whether or not to uh to go ahead and resign or to wait and get fired if their job is uh, starting to impose mandates and i think um you know I, I think legally it looks like uh hold your ground wait to get fired you have more leverage that way is something that a lot of people are going to be happy to know uh so uh thanks for that and thanks for this conversation and i uh, will just let everybody know i've been your co-host and my name is doug mckinty you can find all of my stuff including the psychology of lockdown series that i also do with george uh, as well as my weekly podcast, The Shift with Doug McKinty at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, I'm on YouTube. I've been uh, actually trying to get people to go over to the Odyssey channel or the Rockfin channel uh, to look at my videos. Uh, but the web, the website, theshiftnow.com, uh, is the place to go to catch uh, all of my stuff under the free content tab. So, George, you want to take it away? Let people know Absolutely. Uh, about a uh, little bit about Canadian Rights Watch and where they can sign up. Absolutely. Folks, thanks a lot for sticking it out with us this afternoon. I am George Roach, Executive Director of Canadian Rights Watch. You go ahead and grab us, uh, info at CanadianRightsWatch.com if you want to send us an email. Get us on CRW underscore Rights Media on Twitter, Instagram, Canadian Rights Watch, and on Facebook, Canadian Rights Watch. And do not be afraid to reach out. We will answer your questions. And also... Learn the word no. 
Don't be afraid to stand up for yourself and don't be afraid to seek legal action or advice or take legal action and seek legal advice rather if you feel the situation calls for it. Do not feel intimidated. I know your brains get flooded when somebody's attacking your rights and the reason for that is because your human rights are umbilically connected to your brain. But make sure that you're teaching your kids what they need to do when they're out there in the world with their friends and make sure you spend some time daily connecting with them. They're going through some other stuff and you need to be aware of it. So you know what you can do to best protect their interests. So once again, thanks everybody, Nicholas, thanks a million for showing up. We're going to bring you back. Really appreciate your video work. Doug, thanks again, folks. Canadian rights watch is watching. Join us. Catch us once again at info at CanadianRightsWatch.com. And for the afternoon, I wish you guys all the best. Thanks very much for showing up. Yeah, thanks, everybody. We'll have more from the facts and the fiction coming up soon. We'll keep you all informed. Thanks. Take care. Thank you.